We're going to open our Bibles today. That's a good thing, isn't it? First Peter. First Peter chapter 3. You know, I don't know how many of you have been with us on Wednesday nights, but we've been reading through the book of Acts. It's been wonderful. Last week, I don't remember if it was a Sunday or Wednesday, I mentioned for a little bit the importance of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, how important it is when you're talking to people, who, who you'd rather please, whose opinion matters more to you in life. That's important. If you want a life that's on fire, if you want a life that's fruitful, what we sang about today is, is at the pinnacle, putting him as the first and the last. The fear of the Lord means that he's the only opinion you care about. Fear of the Lord doesn't mean you're, you're walking around like, a, like an abused puppy thinking you're going to get smacked every, every 30 seconds. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. See, the, the devil would like to put in you a fear, a fright of God that pushes you away from God. So there are people you meet that are scared of God, and that's why they don't come to church. They're scared of God, and that's why they don't. And that is not from God. You'll know it's from God because if it's from the Lord and you respond to it, it will draw you to God. That's how you know it's God. That's how you know it's the godly sorrow that leads to repentance is because the godly sorrow leads to repentance. It brings you to the Lord. Fear of God is the same way. When we talk about fear of God, I'm not talking about being scared. I'm talking about having a reverence, putting him first, honoring God above everything else. And you know you fear God when you stop fearing people. Because here's the deal. As we said last week, the fear of people, the Bible says the fear of people is a snare. It will trap you. It'll get you stuck. Being afraid of what people think. Fear of men, he's not talking in that, in that verse. He's not talking about being afraid if someone's going to smack you upside the head. He's not saying being afraid that someone's going to shoot you. He's talking about being afraid of what people think of you. When you're afraid of what people think of you, you are a slave to their opinion. And I don't think anybody here wants to be a slave. Do you know how crippling it is? I know how crippling it is because I was there. When I first started working at the Christian bookstore years and years ago, we went to a, a, a trade show in Vancouver. And there was a guy who had just written a book about different personality types and how, how that can work in the workplace. And he did these, you know, those personality profile things that they do. And they find out what kind of, you know, what kind of person you are. I remember my boss and I, we were looking at our sheets, and my boss said, this is like voodoo. I mean, this is just, you know, how do they know this is what makes me mad? How do you know this is what makes me happy? And it wasn't voodoo. Don't, don't get off on that. It was just simply, there was, there's different types of people, and you kind of fall into this category. Well, they named them after animals, right? So there was a lion, there was a golden retriever, there was a beaver, and there was an otter. I was 100% otter. 100%. The guy looked at me. He said, how old are you? I said, 18. He says, young man, you have a real firm grasp on who you are. You're 100% otter. I said, what does that mean? Well, there's a lot of things about it. And I'm, I'm not that guy anymore. I get it. But part of it was you, you're, you're good with people. You, know, you, like, you like this. You like that. But one of the things was it's real important what people think about you. 
That's what I came out of. That's one of the things that I've, through my life, you, I've had to come up against is, 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 is wanting people to get who I was, not wanting to be misunderstood, wanting people to, 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 to have a proper opinion of me, wanting, to, wanting people to like me. That's a battle I've had to face. I'm going to tell you right now, if I still had that issue, if I was still struggling with that, I wouldn't be a pastor today. Can't really be a pastor and have that problem. Not for any period of time. <laughs> the fear of man is a snare. Needing people to like you is a snare for you. Because there's nobody on the planet that will like you all the time. There's no way you could live that will please everybody. But if you'll please God, it's the only one that matters. If in every situation you say, what would the Lord have me do? What would God have me do today? You know, sometimes, you know, you remember the, the what would Jesus do bracelets? Those are really great. It was a great move, movement that was saying, let's ask ourselves before we do anything, what would Jesus do? Unfortunately, it became so milk toast, watered down, that we forgot what Jesus actually did. You know? I mean, there was very few people that, that looked at their bracelets and said, what would Jesus do? Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Most of the time it was like a veggie tales, what would Jesus do? God wants us to be nice to people, which is great, but there was more to it. So some of us needed to wear a second band, so what would Jesus do? And then the second one said, what did Jesus do? I go, okay, what did Jesus do? That's probably what Jesus would do. And then there needed to be another bracelet that says, maybe you should ask Jesus what he would do. Which is like M-Y-S, I'm not even going to go through that. So three bracelets on your arm, what would Jesus do? Uh, what did Jesus do? Okay. Maybe I should ask Jesus what he would do. Okay, I know what I'm going to do. Because he didn't, the great thing about the Holy Spirit is Jesus said, I will send you another helper. When he says another, he, he, that, that word means just like me. I'm going to send you a helper, which is going to do what I've done for you. And he will tell you everything you need to know. He'll lead you into all truth. And everything he hears from the Father and he hears from me, he's going to disclose to you. So you have the Holy Spirit that knows what God's will is. So you're not expected to figure out what the Lord wants you to do. You are expected to, if he told you already, do what he told you to do. And if he didn't tell you already, ask him. And he'll be faithful. On Wednesday night, we talked about Philip and how God opened doors for him to share the gospel with somebody he never would have run into any other way. What a wonderful story. And Philip had to be obedient for that to happen. He had to be fearless. He had to trust God. And God opened the doors. I believe God is opening doors for people here in this body. Because this is a city that needs, that needs Jesus. We've decided a long time ago that we don't just want to be a group that has nice services. We don't want to just be a group that says, okay, we'll let the preacher preach. And my job is just to hope that, um, you know, I don't get in the way of, of him saying something. And hopefully my friends will hear what he says and they'll change their lives. It's a good thing to invite people to church. But really the evangelism is not meant to all happen here. It's meant to happen there. Church in the Bible was for believers. Now... It says if an unbeliever comes in, that's all right. 
But church was really for believers. And so now I thank God people get saved in services, and that's wonderful. But that doesn't mean you don't go out and tell people about Jesus. Now, maybe you think that you just need to be like a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon. You need to go door to door. If the Lord tells you to do that, you do that. But I think the most effective evangelism is letting God open doors for you every day in the way that he does. And he'll open doors at work. He'll open doors at, at stores. He'll open doors in the most interesting ways. He'll open doors when someone else is at your door. What you do is you ask the Lord, Lord, open doors for me. I'll, I'll walk through them if you open them. And then you're obedient to walk through them when they appear. You got to discern when they're there, and when they're there, you walk through them. Even if you don't feel like you've got it, you just walk through. So in 1 Peter 3, we are privy to a letter that's written to a bunch of people that are being heavily persecuted. So what we're talking about today is um, I want to talk about the hope that you have. I want to talk about your response, and I want you, I want you to be comfortable um, and talking about your faith with people, all right? I want you to be comfortable talking about Jesus. I want you to, to be natural in it and yet be supernatural in it. And, um, but before we do that, I want you to realize that when, when Peter is writing this letter, the church is under intense persecution. So what we're about to read is from that lens, and, and you can understand that God has, that there, there, there's a way for you to to live and to thrive, even when you're being pressed against, even when you're being opposed, the Lord is not has not abandoned you. The Lord is not just uh, playing with you. That that when people oppose you and people persecute and people come against you, that you can stand up and say, "I don't care what you do to me, because I serve a higher Master, and there's nothing you can do to me that changes what I know about me and I know about God, and there's nothing that you can do to me that can really harm me in any real way." Jesus prepared his disciples, said, I'm sending you out a sheep amongst wolves. And when I do that, they're going to abuse you and they're going to betray you. But don't worry. Even if they kill you, they can't harm a hair on your head. Which sounds odd because you say, like, what are they going to, like, kill me but just not mess up my hair? What are you talking about? What he's saying is even if they kill your body, they can't touch what matters. But he said, when they do catch you, when they do put you on court, he says, here's the great thing. When they put you on trial, it's an opportunity for your testimony. Yes. He says, in that hour, don't come up with your own words. I'll give you the words. Now, I don't believe this is just for if you ever get put on trial for being a believer. I believe that these are every time that you're giving an opportunity where what's inside of you is going to come out. Every time you're asked to give an account for who you are and what you believe, I believe that the Lord is there to give you the words at the right time if you'll just be ready. So here's what it says in 1 Peter 3 to sum up in verse 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Now remember, he's not talking to people who had their heel bumped by somebody's grocery cart in Safeway. He's not saying when somebody parks a little too close to you or takes up two parking spaces because they're a truck driver, that, that's just what they do, don't, don't return evil for evil. He's not talking about that. He's talking about people that genuinely are persecuting them. He's talking about real persecution. This isn't something light. He's saying, and when they do something evil to you, 
not just like innocently harmed you or not just accidentally, but someone visits evil on you. Do not return evil for evil. Do not return insult for insult. Some of you guys going to work need to hear this. Oh, you can justify. Oh, you can say, you know what? I, uh, somebody, you can insult me, but you insulted my God. And so I had to, I had to fire back. I had to insult him back. No, you didn't. Oh, you feel righteous, don't you? I know we all do that, right? You can insult me. I'll take it. But don't you insult my Jesus. Here's what your Jesus told you to do. Don't do that. Don't insult them back. Oh, you got the perfect burn. And it's so perfect. Your insult, your comeback is so perfect. You're like, the Lord must have given that to me. The Lord gave me a comeback. It's so good. It'll shut them up. It'll probably make them cry in the back room. Thank you, Jesus. I feel the prophetic on me right now. Don't return evil for evil. Don't return insult for insult. What are you supposed to do? Give a blessing instead? Oh, no. You know, he's just repeating what Jesus said. Bless those that persecute you. The word persecute means to hunt down. That's not just talking about somebody that goes, oh, you're a Christian? It goes, hmm. This is talking about somebody that's, that's trying to cause you trouble. Bless them. Now, if we were at some sleepy little dead church and I said blessing, we'd all go, okay, no big deal. I do that when people sneeze. But you're in a church today that believes there's power in the blessing of God. You believe when you bless somebody, because the Lord's put the blessing in your mouth, that when you bless somebody, things are supposed to get better for them. That's what makes it harder to do this. You see, if I didn't believe there was any power, oh, just bless you, bless your heart. Then I wouldn't care. I'd bless everybody, right? You know, we'd just be like, you just, you just punched me in the face. Bless you. <laughs> but if I know they punched me in the face, and if I bless them, God might actually do something for them. I don't want to bless you. But why don't you trust God? See, God is not a, a mindless genie. That says, I don't want to bless them, but you said I have to, so here. Why don't you trust God that he'll bless them in a way that's going to change them. And he'll bless them in a way that he'll do whatever he wants to do. Because he's he's just good. And that the blessing of the Lord really will, will transform them and change them. It's not your business what he does. It's your business to be obedient to God. You could be like Jonah. Jonah sent to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were some of the worst, just mean, really mean. Worse than Nazis, worse than, you know, worse than any of these modern uh, dictators you can think of. The Assyrians didn't try to cover up their cruelty. Their kings, what they put on their walls in their palaces were the moments they were most cruel. That's what they were most proud of. And Jonah probably had relatives and and friends that had been oppressed by these people, maybe even killed. And the Lord sends him to the capital. 
He says, there are wicked people. Tell them to repent or I will destroy their city. Jonah, here's the last part. I will destroy their city. And he's like, yes, those are the words I've been waiting for. You will destroy their city. But when he preaches, they actually do repent. And he's sitting up on top of it. He found himself a prime box seat so that he could watch the destruction of Assyria. Imagine, or Nineveh, imagine being so angry with somebody that you can't wait to see them destroyed. It's one thing to say, bomb them from a distance. It's another thing to say, I want to see them fry. And instead, nothing happened. And the Lord said, they repented. I showed them mercy. And Jonah became so angry with God that he said, why don't you just kill me? I just want to die. That's how, that's how much bitterness was in him. He would rather die than see God show mercy to somebody. So when you bless somebody, there is that other side of you that wants revenge. And you know, the scripture says, <laughs> the scripture says, don't take your own revenge in Romans 12, but leave room for the wrath of God. I'm like, I'll leave room for the wrath of God because <laughs> he can punch him harder than I can. This sounds good. But it really could, would read accurately as well, leave room for the justice of God. And sometimes his justice is showing them mercy just like he showed you mercy. In fact, that's, that's what he likes to do. And you rejoice when they find mercy. Look what it says. It says, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Isn't that good? You were called that you might inherit a blessing. So give the blessing away. Because that's who you are. James says you can't bless and curse with the same mouth. If you're cursing with your mouth, your blessing is less effective. He says salt water and fresh water don't come from the same stream. So let your mouth be a mouth that blesses. Look at this. For the one, and now he begins to quote from the Old Testament, for the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Can you imagine pursuing peace? Running after it, chasing it. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? If you're zealous for what's good, there's not a person on the planet that can really harm you. Look what he says. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. He's not talking about coming down with sickness. He's not talking about the weather being bad. He's talking here about somebody oppressing, somebody opposing you. See, sickness is, is, is under the curse, right? So he's not talking about something like that. But he is saying, Jesus said, you want to follow me? People will not like you all the time. Paul said, anybody that desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. So you have two choices. You either give up and run away, or you stand up and you keep fighting. That's what the scripture calls suffering according to the will of God. See, when we hear suffering, we just hear we, we think of somebody just lying in a fetal position getting beat on. But what the Bible talks about it, it's it really to me identifies with enduring. Keep fighting. Keep walking. Keep running. Keep speaking. Don't you dare give up because he has not forsaken you.
he says this, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, what are those next words? You are blessed. You're blessed. Is there any curse which overcomes the blessing of God? You guys don't sound too sure about that. Is there anything that can overcome the blessing of God? Is there anything stronger than his favor on your life? So who cares who doesn't like you? Who cares what they do to you? It cannot override the blessing of God on your life. So Joseph is sold into slavery. Big deal. He'll become the prince of the slaves. So he's put in prison. I don't care. He'll become in charge of the prisoners. Until the blessing and the favor of God brings him to the top of every pile they throw him in. Until he finds himself in the court of Pharaoh himself. For the Apostle Paul, his life included a lot of beating, prison, but nobody could touch the call of God on his life. Nobody stopped him from going where he was going to go. The whole time he goes, I'm supposed to go to Rome. You're helping me get there. And he says in Philippians, all of his jailers, all of his guards, the Praetorian Guard, I don't know if you know anything about Roman history, but the Praetorian Guard, that is the elite force. Those are the elite soldiers that are sent to guard the emperor, that work in the palace. Those are the cream of the crop. He says a bunch of people in the Praetorian Guard have gotten born again because of my imprisonment. You see what happened? Imprisonment didn't affect Paul. Paul affected the system just by being there. (laughs) Praise God. He says, do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Does anybody, is anybody reading that out of your Bible right now? Do you notice something different about the text in your Bible? It's capitalized. Why, Why do you think that is? Do you know why it's capitalized? What does that mean? It's quoted from the Old Testament. That's right. Yeah, it's not just that the author's yelling right now. (laughs) Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. No, uh, this is before uh, Twitter. Uh, When Peter wrote this letter, he didn't didn't write those words any differently, I, I don't imagine. But your Bible translators put that in there so that you would know he's quoting from somebody else. Now, where he's quoting from is Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 is an interesting chapter because it's telling the Israelites you're going to go, you know, you're going away to Assyria. The Israelites had, had turned away from the Lord. They had rejected God on, to the point where they, were, they, they couldn't even stay in their own nation. The Assyrians took them away. Isaiah is telling them about this, but then he talks about a remnant. Oh, thank God for the remnant. He talks about a remnant, even though many have fallen away and many have served idols, there will be a remnant left. And though the Assyrians try to take you away and destroy your culture, there will be a remnant left. And he begins to talk about this remnant. It's in the next chapter that he promises them that that there would be a Savior born. It's in the next chapter he tells them about Jesus coming. In Isaiah chapter 8, he tells them when they go, Not to fear anybody. He says, but the fear of the Lord is always to be before you. He will become the one that you fear. He'll become the one that you care about. He says, and when you fear the Lord, you won't fear anybody else. And you'll say, what can man do to me? What can you do to me? The Lord is the only one I care about. 
I don't, I, you know, I don't want you walking around going, I don't care about your opinion. People tend not to take that well, <laughs> you know, especially unsolicited. I just don't care about your opinion. You should care about people. You should honor people. The Bible says honor all men. Give them honor. But the opinion that matters the most is the Lord's opinion. Now, we're not talking here about other believers. Now, I know because there's a time where you, you, don't need to, you don't need to be driven by other people's opinions. But, you know, I care. I mourn with those who mourn. I rejoice with those who rejoice. Their feelings matter to me. But I'm not driven by that. I'm controlled by the Spirit of God. He says, don't fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Do you know what it means to be troubled? When still waters are not still anymore, they're troubled. You're not at peace. You're concerned. You're worried. When you're troubled, it's not the peace of God. He says, don't be stirred up. Don't be troubled. Don't fear them. Listen to this in verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. What does the word sanctify mean? It means set apart. Set apart Christ as the Lord. Set him apart. Put him at the top. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone, everyone, sorry, who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now, this is the verse I've been driving at all day. And this is the verse we will... Spend the rest of our time on. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That means when they ask you, when they challenge you, when people don't like you, when they do like you, sanctify Christ as the Lord. So you know what? He, he's the most important here. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. I want to ask you today, do you have hope? Yes. Now, we've watered the word down too much. Hope to us in the English language has become nothing more than a wish. I hope I get to go to Disneyland. I hope, I hope the Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup. You're just wishing. But hope, according to the Bible, is an earnest expectation. You see, today, many of you are rightly hoping you have hope that you're going to eat a meal today. Right? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a like, I hope, I hope I get to eat. You know, you, you expect it, right? You're expecting it. Now, when we're talking about this, it depends what you're hoping in. If you're hoping in money, the Bible says if you put your hope in money, it's a shaky hope. It'll let you down. But if you put your hope in God who supplies all things richly for you to enjoy, that's something solid. So if our hope is in the Lord, it's sure. The Bible says that hope is steady. It's an anchor for our soul. It enters into the very throne of God. So here it says that, that somebody is going to ask you about that hope you have. If you haven't been asked, what's the matter with you? If nobody's asked you lately about the hope you have, have you been talking enough? Where's your joy? There's an old saying, I think it came up in the 70s. You've probably heard it so many times that uh, you need a t-shirt made of it. But the old saying was, if it was ever illegal to be a Christian, follower of Jesus, let's say that. 
If it were ever a crime to be a follower of Jesus, would they have enough evidence to convict you? Some of you say, I hope not. But most of us say, boy, I hope so. Is your life reflective of Jesus in such a way that people are asking you, why do you have that hope? Now, in this context, he's talking about people that aren't asking, hey, why do you have hope? He's talking about people that are challenging them. He's talking about people that are putting them on trial. But no matter how they ask you, whether it's friendly or whether it's unfriendly, are you ready to give an account? You're ready to tell them, here's why I have hope. Here's why I have hope. That matters, guys, because God is going to open doors for you. And if you'll let them, people are going to ask you some questions, and I want you to be ready for it. He says, with what? Gentleness and reverence. Gentleness talks about how you're talking to them. Don't be arrogant. I'm telling you right now not to seek to please people, but I'm telling you in the same breath, don't be arrogant. Don't be a jerk to people because they matter to God. They should matter to you. Don't get angry because they asked weird. Don't get angry because they asked rudely. I don't care how they asked. You treat them as the Lord treated you. And he says, with gentleness, that's how I talk to you. With gentleness and reverence is how I'm thinking about God while I'm talking to you. Reverence, I'm not, re I'm not reverent towards you. Sorry, Keith, I'm just using an example. If Keith challenged me, or if Keith asked me, what, what, what about, what do you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? I'm gentle towards Keith, and I'm reverent towards God. How do you be both? I care about Keith. I'm not rude to Keith. But my answer reflects my reverence to God. Because I have sanctified Christ as my Lord. People's opinions are not the Lord anymore. So what matters to me, I will be gentle. I will be loving. But what matters is what the Lord says. See, Lord, sanctify Christ as Lord. We use the word Lord just, just as another word for God. But Lord means the boss. Right? Set apart Jesus Christ as the boss of your life. Now, I want you to imagine, and it's not hard to imagine because this is exactly what's happening. I want you to imagine that every time you come into a conversation where the Lord has opened a door for you and you have an opportunity to speak his word, I want you to imagine that he is right there with you. How will you speak? Because he's right there. How will you speak? Sanctify Christ as Lord when you give that answer. Give it with gentleness. But don't forget the reverence. Reverence means my answer is going to reflect how much I care about his opinion. I mean, I care a lot about his opinion. You know, whether my wife is with me or not, I'm not going to sit there and talk to you and, and, and talk, talk badly about her. It's easy because there's nothing bad to say about her. But I, even, if, even if I had a problem, we are working something out at home. I'm sorry, I'm not going to stand there and talk bad about my wife. How much more, though, is she standing right there? She's standing right there, and you, somebody says, who's that girl? Now, now, let me ask you this question. I walk in with my wife to a restaurant. Uh, I got a little distance for some reason. Maybe we weren't getting along in the car. And somebody says, who's that lady over there? 
Well, it's not hard for me to say that's my wife. Would you think there might be a problem if I just said, oh, that's just a friend of mine? Would you think that might be a problem? But that's kind of how we act towards God. What, what about, what are you doing on the weekend? Oh, just getting together with some friends. Really? What kind of friends? Mm, it's just kind of a social thing. It's a club thing. What, what, what makes you so different? Well, I don't know. I guess I'm just a happy person. Stop denying the person that's standing right there. How awkward. How rude. He's right there. I'm sorry. How rude of me. Let me introduce you to Jesus. He's the reason I'm different. He's the reason I have hope. He's the reason my life has not fallen apart anymore. He's the reason even when it looks like it's falling apart, he's picking it up and he's delivering me. He's the reason I haven't given up. He's the reason I've got boldness. He's the reason I'm healed today. He's the reason I'm alive. Stop being rude. You're, you're, Jesus is right here. Sanctify him as Lord in your heart. Set him apart from it. What does sanctify mean again? Set him apart. Apart from what? Apart from everybody else. He's apart from everybody else. Jesus, I know you got a t-shirt at home that says Jesus is your homeboy. And I get that and that's cool. That's great. Jesus is your amigo. He's your pal. He's your buddy. But he's also your Lord. He's a friend. But he's your king. I know that's a balance you need to strike. But Jesus is not just your buddy. He's not just your, your, your pal that you hang with. He's your king. He's your Lord. And he deserves that honor. So set him apart from everybody else. Set his opinion apart from everyone else's opinion. Because his opinion is not just an opinion, it's truth. Set his word apart from everybody else's word. Set his feeling apart from everybody else's feeling. And put him at the top. And always be ready. Now, if I were to ask you right now, in fact, so I've got a microphone. If I were to ask you about the hope you have in you, right now, across the room, some of you are eager and some of you just clenched up. Oh, God, don't let him do that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. But I just want you to think about that. Some of you just want, oh, please don't ask me. And I'm not pointing out who did, because I don't know, but you know. And I was that guy. Got to be honest, I was that guy. I'm not that guy anymore. I want you to be ready to give an account. Be ready. Be ready. Because any moment, somebody's going to ask you. If people aren't asking you, you need to ask yourself, what's wrong? Why is my life not different than everybody else's? Why is my life not, not worthy of somebody saying, what's wrong with you or what's right with you? Have any of you had this question? I know some of you have. Has anybody ever asked you, what are you on? <laughs> and you go, I'm clean. I got nothing. I'm not taking anything. You go, what are you on? That's right. Praise God. What, what kind of drug is that? That's right. Something so much better, isn't it? Let's just read verse 16 as we close. Keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandered, what is slander? That's when somebody says something about you that's not true. 
Oh, I hate that. I can stand up for the things I did. I don't like people accusing me of things I didn't do. But people will. It says, when they slander you, you keep a good conscience. That means you live your life right in such a way that even when they slander you, they go, nope. In the day, look, it says, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Your words and your actions need to match up. But it's, it's, it's the word of God working in you. It's the relationship with Jesus working in you. It's your hope. Do you have hope? What kind of hope do you have? What is your hope based on? I mean, come on, guys. I am so, I'm so over cliches. I'm sorry. I'm over empty platitudes. I really, I don't want to hear, I, I, like I said, I worked at a Christian bookstore. Natalie works at a Christian bookstore. Uh, you know, I know what it's like to have the nice phrases everybody says, and they put it on a teddy bear, and that's cool. And you know what? I'm not against that. That's great. But get over your cliches and your empty sayings or your little Christian sayings that you've always said, but you're not even thinking about what they mean anymore, and let God speak through you. Because we don't need to offer false hope when we've got the real thing. Why are you eating those plastic hamburgers that your little toddler gave you when there's a real hamburger right there? Why am I offering fake hope and little cliches and nice, well, they're always with you. Why am I offering these things when somebody dies? Don't you know they're watching over your shoulder? Why would I want my grandma watching over me when I have the option of having the most high watching over me? I don't want that. And I don't think my grandma wants that. She finally gets to go to glory and she gets sent back to help me bake a biscuit. So here's the deal. You know why people say that? And I'm just going to go a little rabbit trail. You know why people say that? Comforting you, well, your, your grandma will always be with you. They'll always be watching over you. You know why they say that? Because they don't really have any hope that somebody cares about you as much as your grandma does. But your grandma cannot hope to care for you as much as God does. There is someone that loves you more than your grandma does. And he can do a lot more about it than, they, than she can. So why would I offer something empty when I have something real? Why would I offer fake when we've got the real? Do you have real hope today? Is your hope in Jesus? Is your hope not just in eternal life, but also in the life that you're living right now in Jesus? My hope is that I'm going to heaven, but my hope right now is that the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself up for me. My hope is that when I die, I don't die, but my hope is also that my life is now hidden in Christ. And when someone asks me, or they ask you about that hope, sanctify Set him apart as Lord. No matter what they've said to you, they are not your Lord. He's your Lord. You treat them with gentleness, but you treat him with reverence. And in the answer, your answer that you give will reflect your gentleness towards them and your reverence towards God. I know it's very simple, but it's something that we all need to hear again. Let's stand up today.